Good morning, Chris Burbage. It is great to see you here. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good. How is sunny Adelaide? It is sunny this morning. Most change. <laughs> yes, excellent. Um, so, just as an introduction, this is the Better Business, Better People, Better Business podcast that we're doing as a part of TDG, the Deering Group. Um, I have the pleasure of working with Chris. Uh, Chris is based out of Adelaide, although I think he probably fair to say he spends equal amounts of time there as other places where clients are. Um, has has passport, has COVID pass, can travel. So. Uh, We've been working with Chris for a long time, um, long before this business uh, in other places and have a deep respect for his expertise. Um, Chris is one of those unusual characters who uh, grew up swinging a spanner um, and did the work to progress all the way through corporate structures and take quite senior leadership roles in organisations um, before we had the pleasure of him coming and playing with us and still is and we're very excited by it. So... No need to blush, Chris. Um, I think it's all fair and true. <laughs> and one of the things, uh, yeah, yeah, Chuck's, and it's been a, it's been a, it's been a good ride, and it's a pleasure to work with. Um, On to the topic today. So one of the things that um, Chris has got a bunch of different experience, and today uh, I just was interested in. Um, last time I was talking with Louise, we had a chat. We talked about everybody's you know desperate to understand how they can get better people. Um, or people, well, what are you seeing out there, Chris? What's one of the biggest things that you're seeing in the market that people are really wanting to understand? I think um, the value that people bring, the value that they get from investing in their people, um, I think it's one of the, the biggest challenges for any industry, any, any sector. Um, and... You know, you only have to look at the current change in, in the global dynamic from pandemic, pre-pandemic times to um, you know, what, what's currently going on in, in Europe and how that affects everybody's business and the flow-on effects and, and how the world just continues to keep changing and how people can adapt mm. quickly and effectively and efficiently and understand well, what resources do I have, how lean can I be, or do I you know, do I need to bring some more capability of a different type in to, to, to manage what the current crisis is. Mm. Um, I think that's that's the piece, understanding your people, understanding what's on the bench, uh, what the strengths are, how you can best deploy them. And, and I think we see a lot of stuff where we're going to, a lot of stuff, great words, a lot of organisations, a lot of people who spend a bit of coin on their people, and I think often people are complaining they don't get enough spent on them, but on the organisational side, they kind of say, but we spend heaps. Um, and I think we hear that a fair bit. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it is. It's it's a reflection of a need that I, don't know, I, think, I think as we've got more, what's the word? I think as, as we, if we've moved away from, I think back to my, beginnings in an industrial agreement type workplace. Um, We really had a very, very lean training program that was centric on a couple of things, principally emergency response, for example. Mm. Um, That was your training. Mm. As as an apprentice, yeah, sure, you you had your trade training, but that was separate too. It was the occasional speciality kind of piece of training, but half of that, whereas today we're very heavy um, on training burden and a desire to be trained and a desire to upskill. And um, I think 
organisations face the challenge of the cost and burden that comes with that. Um, mm, good call. So, yeah, so, so with that frame, and I think it's a fair frame because, again, we do talk to organisations who are, we have a look inside their closet, you know, their training cupboard, and we see, often see uh, extremes, um, and it's, it's, it's always easy to talk to extremes, but it's often the case where organisations have minimal and probably fair to say unsafely minimal. Mm. Um, and on the other end, you have closets that when you open the door, it's like the old movie where the bowling ball kind of you know, falls down and smacks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kinda smacks you in the head and you go, holy smokes, what's all this for? Mm. Um, and, and, and very few have worked out what we like to call the Goldilocks space, you know, mm. not too hot, not too cold, not too big, not too small, mm. but that just right piece. Um, so how do, like, I know we do a bit of work with companies on this, where do we start? Where does someone start? What's how do you know? So we've got all this opportunity, and people are always selling. There's always someone on the phone saying, "Hey, I've got a great course for you or your crew." Mm. How do you know what matters? Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I think I, I reflect on um, how much is in the cupboard, and, and most recent experiences has been pretty lean with a number of organisations, and that I think comes with its own risks. So there's Mm. Um, a level of reliance on other systems and processes, whether it be procedures, whether it be um, the experience that someone brings from elsewhere. Um, and I think as we've seen in uh, Queensland as an example, the, um, well, not even necessarily Queensland, but, but principally Queensland in the last few years, that skill shortage mentality of, um, you know, people are staying where they are, they're not migrating around as much and they're keeping their skills and their experiences quite local. Um, you got the other extreme of uh, places that have built huge amounts of material or are leveraging material that's out of date or you know don't don't, don't want to invest in it because we've got it and it's and it's not the standard. Mm. Um, it's not current. It's not valid. Um, the other starting point I think is what is it that people actually do, mm. um, <laughs> and what do they need to be successful in doing that. Um, I think many organisations that I've worked with, either in, inside TDG or even, even prior, have, have been heavily reliant on either people to cover off competence, um, senior, senior managers and supervisors, the expats, the impacts. Um, if I think of that in refining, that's, that's how a four-year refinery ran. It didn't have training materials. It didn't have anything other than the people who wrote the manuals that people followed to begin with and then imparted their skills and knowledge and experience. Mm. Um, LNG is probably quite similar, very heavily proceduralised. So you could leverage that content pretty much straight off the bat because you documented what you needed people to do and they were quite detailed. Yes. Um, inside CSG industry, not so. Not so much. That was my experience. Mm. Um, and the blend in between that I've seen in TDG and in different um, different companies is somewhere in between a reliance on the the folks who are the oracles, the um, procedures which quite often are substandard or non-existent, but we think they are. It's only when we open the cupboard we find out they're not quite that's good. Um, and sometimes there's an, there's an over-reliance on modules and, and 
electronic training or ticks and flicks on the job and we think it's genuinely a, a solid training and competency approach or at least organisations do. Uh, it's when we get to open those doors and really have a look at what's in there, what bowling ball just fell off the top shelf or, geez, there's a lot of dust in here and a lot of them okay. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, there's <laughs> nothing there. Um, mm. And I think we see a variation anywhere in between. So to try and find the Goldilocks, um, I think we've got to go back to basics sometimes with, with most most of our clients and most of the organisations historically um, and reset this frame of what is what is the skills that are required to do the job safely and effectively and efficiently. Mm. Start with those basic fundamentals in mind and many companies don't. Mm. Many companies just blaze away with procedures and documentation. Uh, yeah, that's good. And it is, you know, and uh, and obviously we play in lots of different sectors and you do a lot of work with uh, particularly the oil and gas space resources um, and that, that frame of what does it take for someone to be safe, skilled and effective, mm. you know, to be competent, to be able to demonstrate that competence. And on the other side of it, from an organisational construct, um, a training competency like what we would call a programmatic approach, how to have enough mm. stuff, how to have enough of the right people, the right process and the right programs in the right proportion mm. to be able to deliver a solid outcome um, without undercooking or overcooking the goose or the Goldilocks space. Um, it's really interesting you talk to there, and, and I know you do a bit of work in this space, this, this, idea, this idea of skills or skills that people need to do their jobs. Um, and I think, you know, so my question is, Chris, um, I can pull out a PD, job description, position description, whatever. Um, I'm just, I can look at all the training staff. There's all this stuff around. Surely we're okay. Surely I know what my people are doing. Um, I've got a really good idea of what I, all my team are doing out there. Like, yeah. um, there's all this stuff written. I've got an idea. The bosses, the supervisors have all got an idea. Surely we're good. What do you find when you go, if, if we take that as a hypothesis and we test it and we go, well, actually, maybe or maybe not, what do you, how do you do that and what are you finding out there? So how do you test that? What, what do you do? What sort of activity needs to be done? Well, <laughs> whether this is an unconscious bias, bias or a bad experience, I've never found PDs to be very, very helpful. They give a frame for what someone needs to perform broadly, but mm -hmm. uh, pretty much every organisation I've dipped my toes into in, in understanding what they have and what they need to do, they they have pretty much outdated PDs mm. or they're in a process of change and flux, so they want to update their PDs. There's always an excuse around PDs. They're not current and we don't want to invest in them and they're not really that necessary. That's okay. Um, but really what... What I've been doing recently is is unpacking everything from a process flow drawing to a, a, a process drawing in more detail to um, process procedures to safety systems to emergency response, one end of the spectrum to the other of what someone performs in their role and then looking at what tasks does someone perform at a given level and then looking forward at what do they need to perform at the next level? What are the attitudes and behaviours that they need to demonstrate along the way? Do they work as an individual? Do they work as part of a team? How often do they perform you know, particular activities? Um, just because someone doesn't perform it very often, 
we probably want to have a heightened sense of awareness about the risk that comes with that. Um, not just think that, well, they did it three years ago, that was still be good. So there's an element of thinking about, well, what's the currency and what's the verification that needs to happen to make sure that someone in two years' time or 12 months' time can still perform that task safely. Mm. Um, ultimately, when we find ourselves as an organisation in trouble, we've had an incident, the amount of effort and resources that goes into understanding and unpacking that and quite often never getting to the root cause of what actually went wrong because typically... Incidents involve people, and usually they're not malicious. So there's a there's an element of people just make mistakes or mm. they miss something. Um, yeah, I think that's big, and I think more and more, especially the last decade, that consciousness around sometimes called human factors, human behaviour, whatever yeah. language you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, people make mistakes. Mm. I make mistakes. Just you know, ask my kids, ask my colleagues. I make mistakes. Mm. Um, I don't do it on purpose. I think it's a really important part that you called out in that conversation, where uh, sometimes people err toward, oh, they must have done it on purpose. Mm. Um, this level of malicious, and I think I think it's fair to say, experience would show that that is an incredibly insignificant mm. um, proportion of when things go wrong. It's it's not because of that, <laughs> um, and in the sense of skilling, uh, you know that it's often because people don't understand what the skills are they actually need mm. to be successful. And, and I want to, if I can, I want to circle back to that piece you talked about that whole, um, and I want to jump back in this this idea of understanding the skills, this 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 process that I know we do, um, and I know you've done quite a few times of skill analysis. Mm. Um, and, and you, I think you talked there a bit about it. I'd love to go a bit deeper on it. You know, talk about looking at different things and the model that we use, one of the models we use when we're thinking about this and it's how we do the work is the whole worker's flow model. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so we, what we're working with our client to achieve is this place of work as mm-hmm. flow, um, which is where work is happening well and everybody inside that little ecosystem or that big ecosystem is aligned. You know, perfection's delusional, but alignment is fantastic. Um, and when we talk about a skill analysis, I, I think the three elements that we talk around, the three core elements around workers' flow, the work is designed, work is imagined, and work is done, kind of sit at the heart of the skill analysis that you do. Um, love to know a little bit, you know, without kind of going crazy deep, but when you do the skill analysis, who are you talking to? What are you doing? So t- typically we we would be talking to the most senior person within the structure, um, be that the operations manager, because that, that gives a very clear understanding of what they think is actually going on. So that's, um, where you, that's one of the places where you begin. It's one yep. of the places you begin and, and um, from there you take the next step down to their supervisors who are actually in charge of people executing the work. And then you get to talk to the people on the floor who are actually doing the doing. So those top two bits, uh, senior leader, um, can be all the way to CEO, CEO, et cetera. That, that's kind of the workers' imagined piece, isn't it? It is. Yeah, they, have a, they have an idea of what they think the team are doing. Yeah. Um, and, again, we're going to be careful here. This isn't a judgment piece. No, no, no absolutely not. The, the, cool, the cool thing about this is it's rational, it's data-driven, it's just yeah. information that can be boxed up and understood and used. So, yeah. so yeah, those first two are all about workers. Imagine what people think is happening out there. Yeah. Um, that third one, sorry, that you talked to there about 
talking to the workforce, I interrupted. I think it was important just to get that sense. Hmm. Yeah, and the workforce has a different um, perspective. Um, <laughs> a year or two back being in the desert uh, with a, a group of guys and um, looking at what their supervisor had on the plan for them to be doing and where they were at versus where they were actually at and what they were doing, poles apart. Miles mm. um, now, if that supervisor provides that feedback the next level up, well, that person gets a dilution of what is actually genuinely the state of play. Mm. Um, and the performance of that task, you, you think about how people are taking up their work from a behavioural perspective. Well, it's interesting how communication lines get a little bit skewed. Um, mm. The CEOs, you will, if you use that kind of level, will see, well, we, we, we're delivering a facility startup or a shutdown, whatever it may be, a major event, um, whereas the people on the ground floor are still scratching around trying to work out when we're actually shutting down. Mm. Um, it's a little bit like Chinese whispers, if you will. Um, that, that's, that's typically the starting point is just talking to people up and down the organisation, sometimes multiple times. Yep. Um, you, you also want a breadth of, of, of people. You don't just rely on uh, one supervisor. You talk to multiple, where there are multiple, obviously. Mm. Um, if possible, you try and talk to their opposites. If they're um, uh, typically in oil and gas, there's, there's rotational supervisors. You try and talk to their peers, their colleagues. Um, and similarly with their senior operators or their senior maintainers, down to the trainee. And trainees have a very interesting view of the world because they're the new folks coming in or the, you know, the newer operators. It's the green ones. Um, who who are keen and excited, but they they don't know what to do next. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? And I think um, every organisation has this, and it's it's depends on the size of the organisation, depends upon the complexity, et cetera, as to... Like we have a good sense of um, how much is enough to get a fair representation of information mm. such that we can help put the data together into a conversation that adds value to the client. Mm. You know, um, smaller businesses, it's far simpler. Mm. Um, well, simpler mm. in the sense yeah. of the process. Yeah. <laughs> Bigger businesses, it takes a bit longer. Yeah. Um, and I think the other things you talk about, which is really important, you know, it started right off, you know, there was a client a little while back in the desert Um Sometimes we're able to do this stuff remotely and yeah. COVID has made that sometimes more important just because of the complexity that happened. Sure. And sometimes we have to be in the field. Yeah, so this, the yeah, this skill analysis piece isn't isn't just uh, ethereal and sort mm. of, uh, you know, all in, all in one's head. It's actually watching what people do oh. uh, and I, because I know you, we've had a chat about this many times. You know, someone will say, yes, yes, I do A, B and C and occasionally F and G. And you go and you watch the individual or the team or whatever doing it, and um, they do A, B, C. They're probably right. They probably do A, B, C, and D, uh, although they don't do D as much as they thought. And F, they really don't. Yeah. But guess what? They also have J, K, and L. That's right. That they aren't even conscious of that they're right. doing. Yeah. And, and that understanding of the skills and the tasks that people – so the tasks perform and therefore the skills they need to perform them successfully – uh, is is often unconscious to those people, even those who are doing it. Mm -hmm. um, yep. The cold set of eyes that we bring to look at that 
paints the full picture. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like here I am sticking my hands up. You can't even see some of my hands outside of the image. Um, and it, you know, that's a, it's a little bit like that with some of these uh, the, the process we use in skill analysis. You know, people always see this bit. Oh, well, let me get it right there. It is this bit. Mm. They don't necessarily realise they're doing that bit. Mm. It's, it's unseen to them. It's unknown to them. Sure. Um, and the analysis paints that picture, doesn't it? It does. It does. I mean, each of the activities I've undertaken, and certainly inside TDG with, with our clients, you know, we might start with uh, a training or typically what I call a training matrix, which is just a list of names going down one side of the column and what they do on the top for a training and, and learning piece. Um, and again, no judgment, but there might be 30 things on there. The reality is what we find when we look at the tasks people perform, we typically find there's hundreds of discrete elements across a, a, a working group, um, uh, whether it be as simple as taking a sample. Well, we're, we're actually, we need to understand the environmental factors. We need to understand communication. We need to understand the approvals to get a sample. We need to understand the risk with that sample, what's in that sample. And you just start to build out, you know, like you say, you go from simply doing A, take a sample, to all these other sub-things. Um, that doesn't mean you, you generate a massive list of unnecessary repetitious activities. Um, opening a valve at one level, depending on the pressure, depending on the service, can sometimes require a different set of skills to open a valve in a different environment, for sure. Mm. Um, but and that's, that's the thing. You made me nervous here, and I think other people mm. get a bit nervous. We go, oh, there's could be these hundreds of, they go, oh, so mm. it's just going to be this big, cumbersome thing that I can't get my hands around because there's, there's so many, t- like, holy smokes, what do we do? I think what, what, we've, what we've learned to do is to, is to bring those tasks together and group them where they're logical such that you have a more compressed view. The competencies themselves start to emerge. The grouping mm. activities start to form a competency. Um, and it's that that you can then look at, well, is there something already in existence as a standard that we can actually align to and get an organisation to raise its raise the bar effectively? Mm. Um that helps you then think about well, what training materials are they, what, what assessment interventions do you need to have, what mm. verification processes do you need to have, what behaviours are you expecting to see alongside this, um, which... Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> are you actually going to dig out the less-known mm. chestnut amongst competency, yeah. which is yeah. behaviour and attitude? Mm. You know? it's, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And it's one thing I think we see a fair bit when we talk to clients is everyone's interested in application mm. of skill and and knowledge and, and that's in varying degrees but it's less understood that it's in how people apply that where the gold comes it's the behavior it's the attitude I, you know i think uh, we're pretty comfortable that you can have someone who's a really really good at the task mm. and knows their stuff but if he or she does it unsafely or is just just broadly poor in behavior it's a really interesting argument or conversation in the company around does this individual belong? Mm, um, and we talk about it with behaviour in often in in office or white collar space. And again, we do do work that is uh, this type of this type of skill analysis applies. Just so we're clear, everything from the person out 
be a swing and a spanner, using a, you know, working the water, the health context in the mine, any from the front line right through to senior levels. And we've done that work for organisations from what we'd call blue through to white collar and uh, beyond. But it is that really interesting piece, isn't it, around, um, you know, how do we make sure that we are uh, capturing what you need to catch and, yeah. Mm. I think my, 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 my overarching lens of job task analysis, skills analysis, training needs analysis, the, the, the platform, the plethora of analyses with me do, um, is there's, there's a benchmark there, there's that foundational piece. Um, I actually think one of the unsung and untalked about aspects is what I call drift. Mm. If you think about getting in your car, as a brand-new driver, you are taught to look over your shoulder left, right, before you change lanes, and you watch yourself in two or three years' time. You become a little bit more complacent and you're a little bit more comfortable and experienced. You don't need to look over your right shoulder or your left shoulder. So, we don't. so, so you think, yeah. Correct. The cars are still there. Your awarenesses and your skills and your experiences enable you to be somewhat different, but you, you've forgotten the basics, the fundamentals, and one of the things that I, I observe is most organisations don't have uh, typically a desire to re-verify because they 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 think that that checking in on someone's currency and their of competence is is a cost that oh, I don't really need to do that. Whereas I, my experiences and my experiences in organisations is recommending that actually you do need to do something because we all drift. We all don't look over the left or the right. Yep. Everything, everything uh, in every way has the capacity to drift, and you're right. And I think that, you know, if we go back to this thought around performing a skill analysis, um, for all of you just said, that analysis and the understanding of the task and what people are doing and the grouping of the, into the skill sets and the competencies that enable those skill sets and whatever training might enable the competencies to be developed, you can see it's sort of chain for people. This is you know, this is the way we think about it. Um, but even with all of that, it also is a piece of understanding what type of um, what kind of recognition of currency needing to be maintained. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a conversation. I'm I'm going to leave a little bit on the line because I think it's another that's another mm-hmm. podcast another mm-hmm. day. But this whole tension between competency and job competency, as we call it, mm-hmm. versus qualification competency. Mm. You know, this idea around safe, skilled, effective and current versus certified. Mm. And I know this is something we bang into all the time and and have some really cool conversations with clients and helping them uh, understand what's the best approach for things. But I'm also going to go, that is a fantastic conversation for another day, Chris, because I think we could go down a really interesting, uh, some ideas there. Um, so the skill analysis piece. Um, so you know, so you've gone out. You're actually having a look at you know, for years that model ideology. And so you've you've talked to what people think is happening with supervisors, often leaders in the organisation, managers. You've gone and looked at. You've gone and talked to the workforce as well. And again, a lot of this is conversation. You, you talked earlier, though. It is also a matter of going through um, documentation, a matter of going through things. Yep. Um, and I think that's that, that third piece that we talk about, you know, work is designed. What what are you doing there? What's the purpose of that bit? So really it's, it's to validate 
you hear from people and what you see people doing um, when you have the opportunity in lesser pandemic times to be present on a, on a work site. Um, and my preference is that you do that after you've actually seen the activities. Mm. Then you, you, you have a picture of what people are doing in their natural environment and what they've told you they do. And you can verify that. And you can also help organisations. Uh, the, the, I guess it's the gift of they, they get a cold set of eyes looking at their procedures. Yes. Assuming they have a suite of procedures and some, some companies struggle to maintain them. We know that. Hey, everybody, we're just jumping back in. A little bit of a technical fun there. You know how things are at the moment in pandemic land. Things just seem to work and don't work even more than or even less than normal. So we're talking about that piece, Chris, around... Um, you know, understanding, you know, skill analysis. I think the, the, the question I, or the thing I'm always amazed by, um, there's lots of things, but in this particular case, when the analysis is done, um, often the agenda for folk, for us doing the analysis, is absolutely understanding what it is that people do, getting clarity and visibility. Um, it's about uh, making sure that their people are safe, skilled, effective, making sure the programs they have in place deliver to that, making sure that it's it's aligned with what you need. It's to, it's giving that demonstrable competency. Um, and if we go back to that Goldilocks, it's it's not too hot, it's not too cold. And I think that's a bit I'm fascinated by and I'm constantly amazed in um, is this isn't just about understanding what it is your people need to do, mm. but it's also understanding what your people need to don't. Right, Yeah. Um, and I, and I, you know, yes, poor grammar, please, everybody, you can slap, mm -hmm. slap me for that in comments below, fill your boots. But it is around the do and the don't, and it is around what is it that you have, what is it you think your people are doing, and finding out what your people aren't. Um, and it's quite useful, for, again, from an organisational sense, because uh, two things. One, they should be and they're not. That's a really interesting opportunity to reset and be clearer. And again, we're not saying people are being lazy. What we're saying is that sometimes you talked about the Chinese whispers, stuff can be lost mm. and it can be handed across and some of the expectations shift or to use your word, drift. drift. <laughs> and it does drift. And this resets the bar. This resets the understanding and or it allows the decision and the conversation to choose what the reset is. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. we're not going to say that's right or wrong. The I often see clients kind of go, they're not doing that. Mm. Oh, dear. Well, they should be in here. Well, think about that. Is it the right thing? Do you need that? On the flip side, they're doing the other one. They're doing what? Mm. Yeah, they're doing X, Y, and Z. You know, it wasn't just the ABC bit. They're way up here as well. And that can be one work that might be outside of their scope or unexpected. Sometimes that's a gift. Sometimes it's quite a problem. Um, and again, I think it's that piece where, it, it, and I'm sure you see it a lot as well in conversations with the clients. There's that moment where, when you when you have the you know, the analysis done, the report that goes with it, with all the data to, to explore, you know, the report explains the data in a meaningful way, and what the opportunities are, and clients reading it, and there's this whole piece of them realizing um, just how far things, and nearly always. So this is the other comment we often say to people. It's not just you. This is really common, it's, and it's okay. Yeah. What's not okay is now it's known as how you what you need to do to work it forward. Mm -hmm. But that drift you talk about, um, do you see that a lot as well when you're talking to people? That sort of the do don't piece. Oh, I, 
I think you do, and and part of what creates the do and don't is is the the lack of a system or a process or the the currency of how you manage your approach to your, your, your learning and your development or your training and competency, whatever your language may be. Yeah. Without that, people do what human beings do. They they do stuff. Yeah. We wonder, think, we drift. We drift. We we think that someone does genuinely need to go on that three day, three thousand dollar course and they may for their development if it brings value back to the business, but all of a sudden it goes from being a, a whisper of someone's done it to the next thing you've got five people have done it and the next thing you've got a half million dollar training bill that you weren't expecting two years later and you're scratching your head thinking, well, where did that come from? And that's um, that's, that's really cool because what you're talking about there is doing this initial work and if and if you take it and work with it, it's something we then, obviously this isn't like, here's your skill analysis, cheers, we'll see you in some sometime uh, this is just a front end of the work we do um, mm. and I think it's gold what you've just offered there is that actually starts to set the agenda of not just understand what people do but then it'd be able to put in place a program and mm. we talk about you know one of the other models we talk about all the time people program and process but you know having good processes around it and having a really programmatic approach to how this is done such that you actually will know, uh, for an for a company or individual, they can forecast what the requirements, their you know their yeah, workforce absolutely. requirements, what skills they're going to require, what sort of program they need to put in place for the next 12, 24, 36 months. Yeah. What will it cost? Yeah. What is the burden here? You know, and make choices around that. How many? Like you know, if I use an oil and gas kind of conversation, actually, we use any conversation. How many widget experts do we actually need? Correct. Yeah. Do we need to send? two-thirds of the workforce to be widget experts mm. or do we just need, you know, five? Yeah, yeah. So, um, one of the ones that strikes me as always being relevant is, and it's a simple one, is with most organisations have a level of needing some first aid representation in the organisation. Yeah. I think days gone by, everyone who wanted it could go and do it. Now, and I'm not going to challenge that from a, a, a more global community useful. I agree with that. But from business-centric piece, what does the business actually need? And there's a decision point there. You can choose to be communally minded and community minded, and or you can kind of say, well, we need X amount per structure. Yeah. And that's our minimum expectation to keep mm. safe, yep. skilled, and effective. Yeah. Um, so the skills analysis leads down a bunch of different parts. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it sounds like it just gives people the ability to make decisions. I think it gives people the information such that they can understand how their teams can develop, their people can develop, mm. how, as you say, how they can allocate their, their funds appropriately so you don't have 50 widget excerpts when you really only need five, but you can look at making a sixth widget expert so that they continue to grow as a, as a valued employee. So it, I think the value proposition that's, um, understated, I think, in the level of analysis, if it's done well and it's done thorough, um, uh, the the opportunities that it presents itself in in documentation, in, in how you manage it, how you plan, as you've just alluded to, um, and organisations don't necessarily understand that at the get go. Uh, most of the clients I work with don't understand that at the get go. There's some freebies, if you will, that come out of this. There's a lot that we look at. And we're looking with cold eyes and we're coming from a good place to actually say, here's a better way. Um, and the coolest thing about all of this 
that is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, having done it once, having set the baseline, and we create something, that, an artifact that we can give the organisation that has this in place, that is a living document. Mm, absolutely. And, and, and a part of what we uh, offer to clients and we certainly encourage clients is that uh, any significant change to the business or equipment that needs to be revisited. Or secondly, on an annual basis, just a cyclic review. And if it's nothing's changed, nothing's changed. But gosh, you know, regulatory noise changes. Things are changing all the time. So there's always, and we're not talking about having to rebuild the whole thing. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you just keep this alive. Um, And again, I think one of the other things that is particularly in high-risk frontline workforce, and that isn't people always go, you mean only gas and mining? No. No, I think healthcare, et cetera, have the similar level of um, requirement, construction, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody has this, and and regulators, uh, bodies, are becoming much more mindful of the companies or organisations being able to explain so why do you why do you train your people this way? Why did you do this? How how do you know your people are competent? And this this work, the skill analysis, uh, task analysis type work, is at the guts of that. It's at the and you talk about. I know when we talk about this, Chris, you always talk about skill analysis as a foundation. Um, and not only does it help you build, but it also keeps things firm. So when someone challenges the structure, this is the science and the maths that helps it all stay together. Yeah. And the reason. When, when you don't have that experiences, um, having been um, audited by partner companies, having been tapped on the shoulder by the regulator in the field or an inspector, um, you are caught on the hop trying to understand how best to demonstrate and answer their question. Mm. Uh, a, a valid and current skills analysis um, answers that in a heartbeat. How do you know? There it is. Where are your people? There they are. Oh, right. So implementing the findings, developing your profiles that fall from the skills analysis, that that informs your learning management system, that informs your training matrix, all those things that a regulator wants to see because they want to know that you do train your people, that you maintain some level of currency of com- uh, current competency or, or competency as a, as a process. If they don't see that, they get a little nervous. And at the at the heart of every OHS, WHS, work health safety, or health safety document, almost globally, is a is a couple of sentences as a minimum about competent workforce. Demonstrably, this to me is the key that unlocks that conversation. Yeah, that often is. Uh, I mean, we've talked to lots of people, and we talk about the tontine factor. You know, the ability to sleep easily. Just going to say the same thing. Yeah, and it is that piece where, you know, if you're having that nervousness, if you have a level of anxiety around, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure. I, I think we're okay, but I'm just not sure. And we're seeing little weak signals. Sometimes we're seeing big signals of of less competent outcomes. How do I, you know, yeah, this work is a part of helping put in place the tontine factor, the fact that you can sleep at night and realise that things are okay. As much as you can do has been done, Mm. you know, and that's the point um, in a measurable way. That's cool. That that was really interesting. So I think the the takeaways I got from that, Chris, was very much, you know, skill analysis is 
foundation. I know something you talk about, so I'm stealing your words a wee bit here, but it is a foundation in the sense it's what you build on mm. and it also holds things firm. Um, it, it gives some real value in the sense of uh, understanding your burden mm. and too many organisations ha- um, have wrong stuff in there that's unnecessary and have not enough right stuff in there that is necessary and it's that Goldilocks piece of, of just right, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. And that's data driven. So it's it's often in people who are who have that feeling that something ain't quite right. They don't know how to. I mean, that's the other thing with organisations. They're terrified to remove something in case it is important. Mm. Well, how do you know? Well, this tells you. Good. This clearly tells you. And if you sure. maintain that currency and you look at it every you know every second year, then you can kind of sleep a little easier knowing that you've set the right foundation for your folks. That's it's it. good. No matter what the organisation is, no matter what the, the industry or sector is. Mm. Um, yeah, very good. Yeah. So, the, so I guess the, uh, yeah, thanks, Chris, the conversation today, uh, skill analysis, the foundation that helps you uh, ensure that your people can have the opportunity to work as flow. And we talked about the process, talked about the map, um, the, in the sense of work is designed, work is imagined, work is done. Um, and the guts of it all is a simple process and I, I would also i guess I'm, I'm as i'm saying simple chris it's a bit of a lost art isn't it yeah 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 um we see a lot of people trying to do them mm. and we see a lot of uh less than successful attempts um and i think we're pretty lucky we have the methodology we use the approach we take the skill set of the people people like yourself who are just exceptionally good at this and add huge value and offer huge value. So, yeah, I think um, can't under can't understate. It's not just doing one; it's doing one well. Yeah. Um, for us, particularly if we want organisations and people to be better, which mm. is one of our mantras. You know, it's all about be better. Um, this this process, the skill analysis that you've talked to us about, is going to help people and organisations be better. Absolutely. Yep. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, if anyone wants to talk to Chris, feel free. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank Thanks, you very mate. much. Thank you. Bye.